Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the BizCast. I'm Shannon King. So before I get into today's episode, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to all of you out there that tune into the pod every single week. And of course, thank you to all of our incredible guests. As we approach the six-month mark of the pandemic, I'm just realizing now that I've recorded 40 episodes since March. That's nearly three times as many episodes since we launched the BizCast a year ago. Yep, we published our first episode one year ago last week, so happy birthday to the BizCast. Now, on to today's episode. Last week, I had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Charles Lee, scientific director and professor of the Jackson Laboratory for Genomic Medicine, located in Farmington. Jackson Labs has partnered with Yale University in the development of Saliva Direct, a saliva test for COVID-19 that has received FDA authorization. Dr. Lee tells me about how Jackson Labs is working to implement this test to a broader audience and why it's cheaper, faster, and easier than the traditional nasal swab. Jackson Labs is also leading the charge of breeding mice for COVID vaccine trials and processing thousands of test samples so people can receive their coronavirus test results faster. If you enjoy this conversation, don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the BizCast. And here is my conversation with Dr. Charles Lee. So, Dr. Lee, it's such a pleasure to be with you today. Um, So, first, I wanted to ask about the partnership between Yale and Jackson Labs. So, can you talk a little bit about that partnership for the the saliva COVID-19 test? Absolutely. So, um, I want to say it was about four or five weeks ago when we were introduced uh, to Nate Graubau and Ann Wiley, uh, who are both uh, researchers at Yale. They were looking for a partnership uh, with a CLIA diagnostic lab that was uh, currently actively doing um, SARS-CoV-2 testing for COVID-19. And uh, the reason for it was because they had uh, developed um, uh, very elegantly a method uh, to do testing on saliva samples with using uh, uh, very little uh, extraneous uh, supplies, mainly meaning that this was a test that uh, could be potentially done uh, cheaply um, for, for the greater community. And so they've been act- they were actually, um, uh, they had been doing this test, saliva test, uh, for uh, some of the uh, basketball players uh, at the NBA. Um, and um, we're just about to get uh, FDA EUA approval, which basically meant that uh, they had a protocol that could be incorporated by clinical diagnostic labs as it was uh, to do uh, SARS-CoV-2 testing on saliva samples. And so uh, when they reached out to us, uh, I learned a little bit more about their situation. Their situation was that while they had a test which was relatively cheap, which use saliva, which is much more preferable than you know, going up and doing a nasal swab, uh, they were doing it uh, totally manually. Uh, they were essentially doing the test uh, from, you know, from beginning to end in a, in a very manual process, which meant that a typical lab with, let's say, five or eight people working in it uh, could only process 100 or 150 tests per day, which is what they were doing. So for, their, for the basketball players at the NBA, they were doing it under a research protocol and testing about 100 
people per day, which is great. Uh, but as you know, we need large scale rapid uh, testing for more individuals in a much more efficient manner. So the reason they reached out to us was uh, we had a clear lab that was doing uh, COVID-19 testing. Uh, we actually currently do about 23% of all the tests run in the state of Connecticut uh, in, in our diagnostic lab. And that means a lot of automation. Um, and so our, our collaboration was to see if we could take their test and uh, make it, uh, it uh, in a manner that was uh, that could be automated and that would allow for a single lab to not just run one or 200 tests a day, but to be able to run thousands of tests per day. And so that's what we're currently working on right now with them. So what has Jackson Lab's involvement been uh, with the COVID vaccine development and uh, additional testing uh, since the beginning of this pandemic? Um, it was pretty clear very early on in the pandemic that uh, a vaccine was absolutely needed um, for a larger audience. So can you talk a little bit about where Jackson Labs is right now in vaccine development and research? So with respect to well, if, if it's okay, let me just talk a little bit about uh, the, the testing first. So with regard to the testing, so the Jackson Laboratory has uh, uh, five sites uh, around the, the country. We're based in Ellsworth, Maine, uh, Bar Harbor, Maine, uh, Sacramento, California, um, and then Farmington, Connecticut. Uh, and then we actually have a Shanghai, China operation as well. Um, so in, in Bar Harbor, Maine, our headquarters are located there where they, uh, that's actually where they do a lot of the uh, breeding for mice that we use for, uh, for medical research. Uh, here in Farmington, Connecticut, we have uh, a research facility as well uh, that is comprised of about, um, uh, about 500 plus people uh, where we also have a clinical diagnostic laboratory. Uh, which uh, does uh, genomic tests uh, for diagnosis. And so back in uh, March uh, 23rd, we actually had a meeting with uh, the governor, uh, Governor Lamont, uh, to tell him that we actually had a diagnostic lab which is prepared to stand up the SARS-CoV-2 test. Even though at that time, you may recall uh, both the CDC and the federal government was discouraging anyone else from doing the testing. Every, all the samples at that time had to be sent to the CDC for testing. Um, and we realized that just wasn't going to be enough and we offered our services. And, and certainly I think that was the right thing to do uh, as we see how things have developed since. Uh, we're currently here in our site in Connecticut uh, we are doing about 23% uh, of all the tests for this, uh, it, that are being conducted in the state on a daily basis. Um, and that, if you also add up some of the tests that we do for uh, some of the hospitals in Maine and some of our employees that are around the country, uh, we're doing about 7,000 tests per day right now. In a, and um, um, so that's what we're doing here in, in, in Connecticut. Our, our um, our campus in, in Bar Harbor, Maine, as I mentioned earlier, uh, has been for 90 years uh, really the, uh, um, the experts in the world in developing mouse models for medical research. And 
when when the pandemic started, uh, they knew right away as well that they needed to uh, focus in uh, like a laser to uh, prioritize the uh, the breeding of um, a genetically modified mouse, uh, which can contains the ACE2 receptor, the human ACE2 receptor, uh, which allows it, those mice to be infected by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Uh, normally, SARS-CoV-2 virus would not uh, readily infect uh, common strains of mice. So you have to have this genetically engineered mouse in order to uh, use it in this manner. And so we have that mouse, we've been producing that as, as much as we can, providing it to uh, researchers and pharmaceutical companies uh, in the US and, and around the world to allow them to test their vaccines on these mice to see if they're working. Um, so that's kept them pretty busy as well. So really this two-tiered effort by the Jackson Laboratory uh, developing mouse models for vaccine development and testing uh, and doing the testing itself here in Connecticut. That's pretty amazing. So Jackson Labs is um, conducting uh, 7,000 tests uh, or processing, I should say, 7,000 tests uh, for COVID a day. Uh, is that lower than you, than previous? Um, obviously, testing has increased and it really started to ramp up. Is 7,000, has that gone down on average? Uh, well, actually, so we've been continuing to ramp up. We, you know, when we started uh, in March 23rd, uh, we were doing about 100 to 150 tests per day. Uh, and so we've been steadily ramping that uh, volume up to now 7,000 tests per day. And, and the plan is to continue to ramp that up. Our hopes are to get upwards of 12 to 15,000 tests per day. Uh, but um, in addition to just being able to, um, to do more volume of testing, it's actually really important to also continue to innovate along with other um, uh, scientists and entities around the world with the actual testing protocol. So what do I mean by that? Um, basically, we're continuing to explore ways of making the testing easier for people, uh, making it uh, cheaper, uh, and, uh, and uh, as well as just essentially being able to uh, increase the volume uh, of the tests that we do. So that, that's one of the reasons why we were, uh, we were very keen on uh, partnering up with uh, Nathan and, um, and his colleagues there at Yale on the Saliva Direct because uh, certainly being able to collect saliva samples rather than doing the nasal swabs uh, is uh, much easier for, for individuals, but it also op opens up the opportunity to have the collections done easier. You don't have to have, you could theoretically have uh, people just uh, provide saliva in vials and send them uh, you know, uh, to a testing site rather than line up and have a medical professional in all the PPE, do the nasal swabs, et cetera. The collections would be far easier to do by saliva. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another point about um, COVID testing is not only ramping it up to obviously get more people tested um, so we can know where the virus is spreading, but also the speed in which people can get their results. So has speed been a priority of Jackson Labs as well? If anything, I would say that um, 
the, the accuracy of the test and the turnaround, what we refer to is a turnaround time for the test results have been the two top priorities for the Jackson Laboratory. So um, I, I know we've all been seeing stories about um, you know, laboratories around the country that have been taking four, five, six, seven days or even longer to get the test results back. And quite frankly, when it gets to being you know, more than three, four days uh, turnaround time, uh, it makes contact tracing very, very difficult. And, um, and, and certainly when you get towards seven, 10 days, the person's recovered by that point. Uh, so there's no need to get that test back and contact tracing is irrelevant as I mentioned earlier. So uh, for us, we have been consistently getting the, the results back to um, uh, our clinical uh, providers uh, within 24 hours. So about 98% of all of our tests uh, since we started have been turned around in, in 24 hours. And that's why, uh, you know, we, rather than uh, just start to accept more and more samples, uh, which could potentially uh, increase that turnaround time, we're doing it in a manner that I think that's responsible so that we keep that 24 hour turnaround time uh, available for all of our providers. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's pretty great that you guys have prioritized those two things because those are very critical. Um, so so if I could ask, uh, how is the saliva test different uh, than the standard nasal swab? Um, does it, and I'm not a scientist, so that's why I'm talking to you today. Um, so is the, does it catch a different part of the, um, the virus or uh, is it a little bit more accurate? So just talk to me about the difference between the two. Well, the saliva direct test, uh, one of the things it does is it just... Um, uh, at the beginning, what it does is it has a, just a heat process where it essentially bursts open the, the virus, um, and then you're looking for the, uh, the, the, what we call the RNA component of the virus and trying to detect that to see if the virus is present. Um, other methods uh, actually require a, a little bit more of a sophisticated um, uh, processing of the virus so that you, you you crack open the virus uh, uh, and allow the RNA to be extracted. Um, that is a little bit more time consuming, a little bit more expensive, but it gives you a higher sensitivity. So, um, so what do I mean by that? Um, I, if I give you numbers, by the typical, um, using the typical extraction procedure and the nasopharyngeal swabs, uh, of a test, uh, of a, uh, one of these uh, SARS-CoV-2 tests, as long as there is about 500 uh, virus particles per mil in that solution, we'll pick it up, okay? Um, the saliva, not just the saliva direct, but a lot of these other tests, including the saliva direct, which uh, relies on uh, a uh, a different method for the extraction, um, their, their limit of detection is about 6,000 uh, viral particles per mil. So you're comparing you know, 500 viral particles per mil to 6,000 viral particles per mil. Now, when a person is uh, you know, um, very ill, they'll have millions of virus particles, so it won't matter. Uh, but uh, as we know from the biology of the virus, uh, sort of in the early days of the infection is sort of when you'll have a lot of this virus that's in your uh, the mucus and in the saliva, et cetera. So if you, if you 
actually get tested then, it's probably less of an issue, but then uh, you're still infected with the virus um, days afterwards, but the amount that's in your saliva and in the nasal swabs are continue to go down. And that's when the limited detection is actually important because you want to be able to still detect some of that virus, but there's less of that virus in, in the mucus, et cetera. So, um, so the sensitivity is important, but then you have to weigh the fact that, well, um, you know, to get that extra sensitivity, if you have to pay more for that test, or if, you, uh, if that test is harder to administer, then you know, what's the trade-off? So, you know, is, is it better to go with a test that is easier to administer? Maybe it's half the cost of doing the more sensitive test. Um, things that we refer to as a screening method, uh, which sal the saliva di direct is definitely, um, you know, uh, sort of straddles that area of, um, uh, of testing. Then um, uh, that's something that we need to seriously consider because it's a balance of getting a lot of people to get tested frequently uh, and the expense of getting tested. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the question that came up in my head when you were explaining that is, is it better for an individual, and every situation is different, is it better for an individual to get tested um, before they're showing symptoms? So if they think possibly, you know, with our habits, if for some reason they weren't wearing a mask or in a, were in a large group of people um, or suspected that someone else was sick, is the best method to get tested before symptoms begin? Um, then, then when, obviously, if they get really sick and then get tested, um, coronavirus will show up in the test. So is that sort of, I mean, you know, it's really tough to be able to uh, go get a test when you think you might have been exposed because you really don't know. Um, but is that, is that the best way to detect it before symptoms show up in those first few days after exposure? When we talk about screening people, so a large number of people, uh, whether, they're, whether they have symptoms or not, right? Um, in those cases, you want to test uh, the individuals uh, as quickly as possible. So um, a, a good example of this is the, the students that are coming in uh, to start school. Uh, they're coming in from all over the country. We know that 20 to 30% of people that have uh, uh, COVID-19 don't have any symptoms whatsoever. And in fact, um, I suspect our, the, the young students uh, who are resilient to everything or they feel like they're resilient to everything uh, won't even recognize if they had some mild symptoms anyways, right? So those individuals, we need to test them all uh, when they come in. There has to be a constant regimen of every so often to get retested so that if there's an outbreak, we'll pick it up and then be able to try to contain that. Now, on the other side of the equation, um, we... Uh, there's a lot of testing that goes on, for example, uh, people that need to have surgery done in the hospitals. Well, before they're admitted into the hospitals, the surgeons uh, and, and all the hospital staff want to know, ha are they COVID-19 positive or not? If, they're not the, if they are, they're not going to do the surgery. For those individuals, you would want much more accurate, precise testing because you're talking about one individual uh, do they have COVID-19 or not? So a much more sensitive 
test in those cases, I think is warranted. Okay. This is all really, really great to know. Um, so what are you looking ahead to in terms of um, what a vaccine rollout will look like across the country? So we, we've seen many stories um, here in Connecticut and across the country. Um, vaccines are heading into their uh, different phases or towards the end of their phases. And, you know, Jackson Labs is going to be supplying mice for those those trials. Um, so from your perspective, what does a rollout, what is it going to look like? Um, I, I'm not asking you predict, to predict when it's going to be, but what is it going to look like in terms of um, higher risk people getting it or people deciding, you know, I, I don't have any um, underlying conditions. Maybe I won't get it. Uh, so what is it going to look like? What do you think? So, um, I mean, I, I really think ultimately that's going to be for the Department of Public Health uh, in, in the states, various states to determine. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the rollout is in a manner that is similar to the flu vaccine. Uh, so the vulnerable populations uh, are prioritized to get it first. Um, and we know with, uh, with COVID-19, for example, the elderly, the immune compromised, uh, if they get COVID, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, uh, they tend to have uh, increased rates of fatality and certainly increased rates of severe infections. Um, so um, I suspect that that would make a lot of sense if the elderly, the immune compromised uh, and the vulnerable populations uh, had priority uh, and then others uh, beyond that. Uh, I would suspect uh, high on the list also would be, uh, you know, uh, healthcare workers, uh, first responders, et cetera, because they're in constant uh, contact with uh, uh, vulnerable individuals as well. Um, you know, my hope is that, um, I do hope that something does come out, um, I, a vaccine is available or multiple vaccines are available by the end of this year. Um, what we don't know is how effective those vaccines are going to be. Is it 50% effective, 70% effective, et cetera? Um, but also bearing in mind that once they have a vaccine that they think is quote unquote acceptable, let's say it's 60% effective, but it's, it's safe and uh, it'll provide some level of immunity uh, for a period of time. Then uh, it's estimated that it would still take three to four months minimum to just make enough vaccines to distribute. Uh, so it's not like the minute a vaccine is avail uh, has been sort of approved uh, that people will get it. It'll, it'll probably be months before many people actually get uh, that vaccine. So a little bit of a waiting game, uh, you know, uh, in store for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's certainly good to know because um, this fall and winter will coincide with flu season. Um, and just, you know, being able to um, protect ourselves against the flu as well, which we, we know very well with our with the vaccine and things like that. But um, obviously, with all these safety measures that we have, um, mask wearing, social distancing, um, limiting large groups and things like that, uh, I you know, I'm, it's my hope, and I, I think you would agree with me, that that will help um, keep the rates down. Um, until we can really get this vaccine bolstered and have that buildup of a few months. Um, so certainly looking forward to that. And Jackson Labs has been a 
part of it since the beginning. Um, so we, we commend you on your work. Um, you know, thank you so much for, um, you know, being the voice for um, science, bioscience in the state and working to um, address this pandemic. Uh, I mean, this is uh, month six or seven at this point. Um, so I congratulate you on all the work. And um, if, if I could ask la one last question. Um, so this saliva test is being used for uh, the MBA. Uh, have there been any other inquiries from any other uh, major sports leagues to use this kind of testing? I mean, obviously football, football's coming up uh, later this week. Um, is that, you know, sort of, uh, is this saliva testing uh, something that other, other sports leagues want to use? I have no doubts that uh, other sports leagues are contacting Nate and Ann uh, for this. Um, I can tell you that from our end, since the press release came out on Saliva Direct, we have been inundated by requests from all sectors about whether or not they could get access to that testing. So for example, there are a lot of businesses now, you know, with tens of thousands of employees where they want to have some sort of an easy testing regiment available for their employees. And they're asking, is this something we can uh, partner up and provide for them? And unfortunately, right now, the answer is we're working on trying to make that available, but uh, it's not available in an automated fashion right now. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we keep pushing and, and my hope is that we will get that available soon. Well, best of luck to you and the rest of the, uh, the Jackson Laboratory uh, team for all of this amazing work. Um, so, Dr. Lee, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you, and we hope to have you back soon to talk more about the vaccine when it's finally out. Wonderful. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much. For the latest COVID-19 information, visit CBIA.com. Follow us on Twitter at CBIA News and on Facebook. Call us anytime at 860-244-1900. Stay safe out there.